0: You are listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. Elder Law Answers is the leading provider of web-based practice development tools for elder law attorneys. We help firms reach clients with tools designed by elder law attorneys for elder law attorneys. I'm Rebecca Hobbs, the National Director of Elder Law Answers and a practicing elder law attorney in the Philadelphia area. In each episode of Elder Law Answers for Attorneys, we will chat with leading experts in the field of elder law marketing, and practice development. Welcome. With me today is Mark Gilfix, a practicing elder law attorney in California. So prior to practicing law, Mark was a management consultant at The Monitor Group, which was founded by celebrated Harvard Business School author Michael Porter. He also enjoyed a career as a professional actor and writer, appearing on several network TV shows, including CSI New York, 90210 and The Young and Restless. So for today's episode, we're going to be discussing keeping your clients happy, um, which is kind of a continuation of our prior episode where we talked about the initial consultation. We talked about winning the client over, getting the client to retain you. So today we're going to focus on providing excellent service to our clients and keeping them happy once they've signed on. Um, so Mark, what are some things, you know, right after that client retains, what are some things that we can do to make sure that we're fulfilling our promises to our clients?
1: Well, I think communication is the key. Communication, communication, communication. I'm not perfect at it, I don't think any attorney is, but if you look at the list of complaints that clients have and the biggest thing that gets a client upset with an attorney or makes them feel discontent, it's a lack of communication, a lack of updates from an attorney. And you might have a high volume of clients. You might, if, if you're lucky, you have a busy month. A lot of people are coming in. You're doing a lot of work. How do you make sure that everybody feels taken care of and that you're there for everybody? And there's a lot of different systems for that. There's great software programs. There's the traditional older ones like Time Matters. There's Clio. I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones. Um, I've heard a lot about different um customer relationship management programs like um, Salesforce or different versions of that. But you have to have, or maybe it's just a a spreadsheet if you're a smaller practice, but you need help. Hopefully you have some administrative help who can really stay on top of that for you. I personally am not good at keeping lists like that. I rely on my team to make sure that that's all calendar, but we kind of have a system where I like to have multiple backups. I like to have a spreadsheet with a list of all my client engagements. I like to put everything we use, uh, I think, time matters for this stuff. I like to put in reminders there. Um, I like to have multiple ways to make sure we're following up. Um, But that, you know, keeping clients up to date, even if it's just say, hey, you know, your document should be your draft document should be coming soon, um, can be a good thing. You have to be a little bit careful about communication, you don't want to necessarily encourage clients to think of questions that they don't have. So there's sort of an art to it. Well, where sometimes I will respond to a client be like, they ask me a question, I will try to answer it and be like, I hope this was helpful or, you know, thank you. Sometimes I will close with, hey, let me know if you have other questions. But sometimes that means people will then think of questions and, and it can get into an endless back and forth. Um, and sometimes I ask my, my case manager, my support staff to reach out to clients because it's less likely they're going to pepper them with questions, but they still feel taken care of. They still feel like they're top of mind. So um, I think communication is the key. Um, we follow up every initial meeting with a letter. Mm -hmm. So even if we're not directly in touch, within a week or two weeks, they're going to get a summary of what we talked about in that first meeting, a summary of next steps, a summary of anything else that we need from them. Um, So a lot of different ways to do it. But I think staying in touch with clients is key.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I also think just to add something onto that, where after that initial consultation, having just your fees clearly outlined as well, because I think you know, a lot of the stigma around attorneys and, and people not trusting them is where those fees aren't clearly communicated to the client.
1: That's such a great point, Rebecca, that you never want clients to be surprised by fees. Better to, you know, as you might say, under promise and over deliver on fees. Right. Um, and I know some attorneys charge hourly for work. We, we usually use fixed fees for documents. There's different schools of thought for that. We really like fixed fees. We try to break it down uh, I know some attorneys use a flat fee, a fixed fee for an entire plan. We actually don't do that. We'll have a fixed fee for like a trust, a fixed fee for a power of attorney. If we're going to do different types of trust, fixed fees for those. And I think the more you can break it out into mm-hmm. different line items, the better off you are. There's more clarity. If a client has an issue, you can segment that issue to just that document rather than questioning the whole fee. Um, hourly. That's, that okay, that's one way you can do things, but it's harder to estimate exactly what an hourly fee will be. It also kind of punishes you if you're efficient, like if you're very good at what you do and you have a great system, it might not take you that long to develop something that took you years to, to develop. And- right. It's not necessarily the best pricing plan. Some things have to be hourly, but if they are, you really want to give whatever you do, give a client a range, especially a high range of estimates. So they know, hey, it could be up to this. I'm hopeful it'll be less. Um, what we usually do in our engagement agreement is we will literally write out what the fixed fees are for different documents. So they know uh, ahead of time exactly what they'll pay. But you're exactly right. If you don't communicate that right. clearly upfront, you're asking for trouble, you're asking for complaints, and sometimes the ironic thing is, we might have a client who hires us to do a lot of work. We'll do all kinds of different tax planning and and estate planning, and it'll be several thousand dollars of work, and then, in fact, today, I just got an email a client paid us a lot of money for a great plan, but then got an administrative fee for the recorder's fee for the county recorder. It was like 65 bucks. And he was complaining about that because we didn't oh, okay. communicate it to him. So I waived it. But the point is, it's not always about the dollar amount. In fact, sometimes it's the littlest thing, like the administrative fee that clients will really latch on to. Often, I'll just waive it if, if I feel like a client didn't Didn't understand it up front. I rarely will push back on that. But again, it goes to communication. It's not necessarily the dollar amount. It's making Mm -hmm. sure they actually understand what the fees will be. And then you're generally okay. Yeah.
0: Now, in that beginning part, where we're still building the client rapport. You know, they just signed on and we're just starting to work with them. You know, I have found that setting an expectation for communication is key as well. Um, How do you do that with a client as far as, you know, if they email you at one in the morning, are you going to be answering their email? Um, What do you do when they ask for your cell phone number so they can contact you, you know, after hours? How do you control the client when it comes to communication?
1: Yeah, and I think it goes back to what we talked about with fees. you got to set expectations. You do not, if it's an emergency, you know, if someone's really sick or it really truly is an emergency, of course you make exceptions, but generally speaking, There is no reason to respond to after-hour emails during after-hours because if you start doing that, you are setting expectations. Under-promise, over-deliver. I try to, I I will, sometimes I'll see emails once in a while, I will respond after-hours if I just want to get it off my plate. But usually I will honestly wait till the next day because unless it's an urgent issue, that obviously changes everything. But if it's a non-urgent okay. issue, if you start doing that, you have to keep doing it. If you're responding at 1 a.m., the client yeah. will expect you to be on call 24 hours a day. Same with your cell phone. If you make that available, expect to get text messages, expect to get calls at all hours of the day whenever, whenever the client feels a need to reach out for any question. Again, it's not necessary for most of what we do. Every, and it also doesn't serve you or the client well, because if they expect you to respond right away... They might have a question that requires that you look back in their file, that you look back in their notes, that you look back at all the work you've done to give a good answer. Um, So often clients, you know, it's the classic thing. Hey, I have a really simple question, or my situation is really, it's not complicated, totally simple, should be very easy for you. Of course, that's not the case 90% of the (laughs) time. And again, one thing that differentiates us from, again, online services or or trust mills or people that are just high volume, get people in, get them out is that we do dig beneath the surface. We do look into an issue to make sure it works holistically with whatever else you're doing with a client. So one thing I'll do is even sometimes I'll get a note from a client and I'll say, Hey, let me look into this and I'll get back to you, but it will take a little bit of time. And sometimes I'll say this will take some billable time if it's a complicated question, but generally speaking, um, Certainly want to respond within 24 hours, always, even if you don't have an answer, even if you don't have time. Uh, But you got to prioritize urgent client matters, you have to prioritize meetings. And if you start responding right away, they're going to expect it. And what if you have a day full of meetings? Or what if you have a client emergency comes up, you will not be able to respond in time. And uh, and, and then the client will be angry. There's also work-life balance. Do you want to be on call 24-7? Uh, you know, we're not dealing with court deadlines, usually, in our, our area of law, as much as litigators. And, and I think that's one reason why I, I like our area of law. We can build longer-term relationships. It's not transactional as much. If you start getting back to people right away, that can be problematic. And, and again, it only leaves you with the possibility of angering a client if you don't continue that pattern.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, what about the, you know, some attorneys that are just so good at procrastinating? And maybe that client emails and it's, you know, a a question they don't know the answer to. Um, And so they need to research it before they get back to the client. And then 24 hours go by, 48 hours go by. I mean, what do we do to make sure that we are answering those questions? We're not procrastinating.
1: So that goes to your own personal system. And I think it is, as you kind of mentioned, it's good to respond up front to say, hey, I just want to let you know I got your question because I've, I've had the habit of sometimes I'll get a question from a client and maybe my colleague or my um, support team can help them better than I can and I'll forward it off yeah. with saying hey can you guys get back to them and I'll forget to respond to the client to let them know I got it um, and right. then the client comes back two days later is like hey I haven't heard from you what's going on all I need to do is say hey I got your question let me follow up with my team and we'll get back to you um, so one thing I think is important just acknowledge that you got it um, right. don't let it just drift out there and when you do get it you need to have a system whether it's you keeping track or your case manager your administrative team there needs to be someone who has a deadline to get back to the client if you can't answer it sometimes that's okay let the client know hey you know we don't have a clear answer for this yet it might take us more time that's also where by the way you manage expectations you might say hey this is actually a pretty complicated questions question i just want to make sure you're okay with the fact there will be a little bit of billable time for this if you're okay with this let us know if not you know that's fine um So you have to weigh that. But I think having your own internal system, whether it's through uh, some sort of customer relationship management software, a spreadsheet, calendaring to-dos, you have to have something because it can get overwhelming really quickly.
0: Right, right. It also can get overwhelming, though. I mean, there's so many different software systems out there, um, you know, in different practice management tools that you can use. So, I mean, when is it all too much. I mean, how do you know what you should use for your office and what is just overkill?
1: Yeah. I think you have to see how, what works for you specifically. How do you work? So I'm, I'm a very verbal person. I don't, I can write, I do it all the time, but (laughs) you know, after my meetings, I will, I use a dictation device and I will record a client letter usually right away. Well, it's top of mind. I think that by the way is critical. If you, I I strongly recommend that you follow up initial client meetings with a letter. Um, we bill for that letter. We tell clients, we're going to bill for it. 95% of the time clients are fine with that. Um, because it, it adds value. It lets, it gives you both a written record of what you did. It gives you a chance to put it even more into writing, aside from the engagement agreement, a list of issues, a list of what we're going to be doing, a list of follow-up categories. Um, and that also, when I record that letter, I will verbally say, okay, for, this will not be part of the letter. I'll say, okay, we also need to make sure we follow up on X, Y, and Z. Let's set a deadline for the state for that. Let's set a deadline for, for item B Um, for five days from now. And so my case manager will then enter that into the system. That's what works for me. I don't like Mm -hmm. entering things into the system myself. To me, it just drags me down. And and if I can do it verbally, it's so much more efficient. Now, other attorneys, you might like to do that yourself. There might be value in you entering these deadlines yourself into your calendar Mm -hmm. or entering into whatever system you use. So there's no right or wrong answer. I do think you need to have some software to manage your right. cases that's geared towards our area of law. You know, I don't I don't pretend to know the trade-offs between all the different options there. <laughs> but I think the key is how, what, what works for you? And for me, it was a big epiphany to know I'm so much more efficient if I can verbally give instructions and if I can mm-hmm. do the letter right away that way, and if I can verbally follow up and give instructions, I'm just better at that. So that's yeah. how I work, but you gotta find what works for you.
0: Right, right. Now, how do we, you know, as attorneys and, you know, and our our staff as well, how do we make sure that our clients feel appreciated and they know that we value them? What are some different things, you know, that we can incorporate into our practice to make sure they feel valued?
1: So some of this goes back to what we talked about in the other podcast about the art of the initial consultation and getting to know clients. But one thing I try to emphasize with my team is, Every interaction with a client, even if we're just reaching out to get a copy of their last recorded deed. That they have every interaction is a chance to build on the relationship, so it should not be just transactional. When we when I reach out to clients, especially on the phone, I won't just say hi, Mr. Jones. I need to get a copy of that that document that, that your old trust that you promised to send me. I'll try to just start every time connect with them in a human way first, whether it's email too. Maybe it's as simple as like, hey, how are you doing? How like how how's the family? If there's something you got in the first meeting. By the way, another another little tip is. In your meeting notes, I take notes on my computer, but whether you write it down okay. on your computer or handwrite it, take some notes about who they are as a person, about their family, about their career and background. And that will, when, when I haven't talked to a client for a few weeks, I'll pull up my initial meeting notes and all of a sudden it jogs my memory. And not only do I remember their situation, but I remember who they are as a person. And I'll try mm-hmm. to use that to inform some of the questions I ask, whether it's maybe, hey, how's that project you're working? How's the the... Re- the reconstruction of your kitchen going, you know, like little right. things like that. Um, and I think just knowing that you know them as a person and are connecting as a human first, even if it's just for 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes, uh, I think that's really valuable in showing them, yes, I'm your attorney, but I also care about you as a person and you got to find what works for you that way. But, mm-hmm. and, and that's also why I like this area of law. I like that it's not transactional. Mm-hmm. I love getting to know people. And, and, and I hope other people here do, too, in this area of law So try to find that and try to, to really build on that every interaction you have with clients.
0: Yeah. Now, do you use, um, you know, software or systems to try to, you know, I've heard of attorneys that send out like birthday cards or they send out anniversary cards. They keep track of these important monumental dates for clients. Do you utilize anything like that in your office?
1: So I think those are fantastic ideas. We do not do enough of that. I wanted that's I I just learned something that we should do. Uh, we've talked about doing some of these things. Um, we don't do that now. I think it would serve us really well if we did. Um, you have to balance it though. Cause if, right. again, if you set the expectation, I actually, I don't see as much of a downside there. If you send a card one year, forget the next year, no one's going to be upset at you. <laughs> you know, like they're not going to call me like, Hey, you forgot my anniversary, Mark. <laughs> like, I don't think that would, would happen. But no, I think that's, those are great ideas. And, um, yeah. any little ways you can do, I heard of a, some firms that do annual parties for their clients, like a mm-hmm. ice cream social or annual big parties. We haven't done as much of that uh, as I would like. Um, I'd like to do more things like that, like client appreciation parties Mm -hmm. or events. Um, But no, I think all those things are fantastic. But you do have to come up with a system to make it easy. You have to get a bunch of cards, you know, as much as it's great to write a personalized card to everybody every time there's an anniversary, you might not have the bandwidth to do it. So you need a simple way to make sure that it's thoughtful and easy to do.
0: Yeah, because it's all about finding that balance of ultimately the client hired you to do a job and get that work done. Yeah. (laughs) So they want you to be doing the work, but the birthday card is an added nice thing if you can manage to get that out as well.
1: Absolutely. And I'm sure there's some some company out there that helps you automate all that for you where you just enter information. They send the card for you. I'm sure they're out there. I don't know of them, but uh, I'm sure there are tools for that.
0: Yeah. Now, what happens when you get, I mean, we all have had that client that just maybe isn't the right fit for our office or for us um, and is the problem client. Um, how do you handle that?
1: Well, I think there's some good A good rule that we all fall back on is like the 80-20 rule. Um, Mm -hmm. It it applies in all areas of business. This harkens back to my management consulting days. You're probably going to generate 80% of your revenue from 20% of your best clients. You're also probably going to get 80% or 90% of your problems from 10 or 20% of your clients. And that is a tricky question because... We only have so much time in the day and you don't always know if someone's going to be a problem client when you start working with them that's where you want to look for warning signs early on and again that goes back to the initial consultation are they already really pushing back about fees are they already showing that they don't really value what you do and trying to question why they would work with an attorney rather than just doing it themselves those are all warning signs and those might be a good reason to say you know what i might not be the right fit for you you know i i it's great meeting you, but maybe I'm not the right attorney for you. Now, once you've already started work, if a client seemed okay up front and then they become really difficult and no longer seem to value what you do, well, that's a a tricky situation. And we have to be cognizant of the fact that people write online reviews these days. There's whether we like it or not, there's Yelp, there's Google reviews, there's right. Avo, there's a few other sites where people will do that. And those reviews do matter. Um, clients will do a Google search for you before they go to meet with you. So we have to be a little bit careful. If we, you always have the right to fire a client if it's not working out to say, you know what? I just don't think this is working well for you or for for you. Maybe you focus on the client not being happy. You got to think about how much you're going to refund them. If if they've paid you a lot, if they haven't paid much yet, maybe you just cut ties right away. Or sometimes it's worth trying to salvage it and just saying, you know what? I just got to take the fact that this is going to be a challenging client and I'm going to work with them through it. And I know it's going to take me more time than it should, but hey, that, that's just kind of the cost of doing business. So some some clients we've had have been really difficult, but when you actually, this goes back to relationship building, when you really get beneath the surface and you, you get to what's stressing them out, you can solve it. I once had a client who came in extremely angry at me and at our firm because there was a minor error in one of the documents. It wasn't necessarily a mistake we made. It was a miscommunication. And he was really upset. He'd come a long way and he was almost yelling at me. We sat down. And rather than initially just defending myself, I listened to him and I mm-hmm. found out that he was incredibly stressed because he was taking care of his mother-in-law. He was taking care of his father-in-law. He felt like he had no one else there to support him. He, was, uh, he wasn't he was able to work because he was there at home taking care of him. He had so many outside stresses. Right. And when I just listened to him, I was able to get past his frustration and we were able to come to a solution. Now, Listening is key. If someone is just incredibly difficult, sometimes you do have to cut bait, you might have to take a financial loss. Um, No right or wrong answer there. But I think life is too short to deal with too many people who don't appreciate the value that we bring. So you have to be careful with that.
0: Yeah, right. Now, and you mentioned, you know, online reviews. um, And do you have a system? I mean, this is something that we've been talking about at our firm as far as actually requesting client reviews from your clients that you've worked with.
1: Yeah. So I don't know the exact statistics, but someone who's unhappy is probably five to 10 times more likely to write a review than someone who's thrilled. You have to ask. If you don't ask, you're not going to get reviews. I mean, that's just the fact of doing business for any type of business. Um, look at what other comp- what other areas of, of the business world do. A lot of companies will explicitly ask you to write reviews. You don't want to be too aggressive um, and you have to be careful. You don't necessarily ask everybody because some people might be very happy with your services, but. Legal services are a little bit touchy. Some people don't want to reveal that they've been working with you and there's client confidentiality issues. Uh, That being said, if you don't ask people to write reviews in our experience, they won't. Uh, I found for every 10 clients who's thrilled with our services who I asked to write a review, maybe one or two actually will, even if they all say they will. Um, Right. And you have to make it as easy as you can uh, for them to do that. So um, there are, yeah, systems can be helpful. I haven't found the automated systems to be that useful. I usually find it takes a personal request, like an email from me or even a phone call to, for them to, to really follow through with it. Um, but mm-hmm. I see no harm in it and you have to be proactive about it. Um, It will catch up to you. We learned that really early on here in Silicon Valley. Again, we're in Palo Alto, California, the heart of Silicon Valley. We probably faced the first wave of reviews before most attorneys had even heard of Yelp. I think we had our first Yelp review in like, 2007. I mean, and, and, and this is before I worked at our firm and my father was like, ah, what? Yeah. Who cares? Like it was like, <laughs> it was a lukewarm review. I don't know why they wrote it. They were like, Oh, they were right. pretty good. Why did you write that? But he didn't worry about it, even think about it. And then we started seeing some other people proactively getting their clients to write reviews. And mm-hmm. you see, if you're not going to do it, someone else will. So uh, right. your, your competitors right. might. And, and one sad thing about our area is if we're doing our job, it's not a quick hit. People don't know the value we're, we're delivering right away. You go to a restaurant, you had a great meal, service is good, you can write a good review. But someone might go to a cut rate legal service place that makes them feel great, that was responsive and created a horrible plan. And they might say, hey, they were cheap and they were great, five stars. Right. So you know we're going to be competing against that and you have to be proactive about it.
0: Yeah. Now, with clients, once you've completed the transaction or once you've completed the work for them, how do you stay in touch with that client do you have a system for that
1: so we have as a couple ways so we, we add them to our mailing list of course we do mm-hmm. seminars to the public that are open to anybody and we'll of course send that all to our clients we also have a client uh i don't know if you want to call it loyalty program we call it the peace of mind program where people pay mm-hmm. an annual fee and for that fee they have our one hour meeting with one of our attorneys they get discounts on future work um and we give uh, complimentary seminars to members only. So we give clients the chance to opt in and we do charge for it. Um, okay. So that, that's that been really good for us. But you again, you have to get the client to commit to some right. financial contribution in exchange yeah. for that. I think that's important. But of course, you want to stay in touch with clients in other ways. I think regular email updates, whether it's newsletters, um, social media can be helpful, but it's challenging in our area. I don't think many clients at least in, in our practice, and we are in Silicon Valley, I don't think many clients necessarily follow us on Facebook or other places. So I think emails are a good way, public seminars, maybe client-only seminars, creating some sort of loyalty program or, or stay-in-touch program is key. Um, no right or wrong way to do it, but I do think that's, it's important to keep clients in the loop or give them an option. If they want to stay connected with you, give them an option to do it and charge them something for it to justify the time you're going to spend on it.
0: Yeah, Great. So, Mark, we're just about done. But any kind of final tips for our listeners on case management and moving that file along?
1: So, I think it's it's personal to everybody. Everyone has their own working style. You just need to see what feels more effortless to you. Uh, whether, again, for me, it's it's using my dictation device to, to do a lot of give a lot of instructions verbally, um, and to have my team help me to make sure we're following up. Uh, maybe for you, it's you like to keep an Excel spreadsheet, or maybe you really like to use. Um, Clio or Time Matters or one of the other software programs and you're comfortable with that, maybe you want your team to do it. Whatever it is, find what doesn't feel too difficult for you and make that work. Um, Use your support team to help you to come up with a process that's efficient for you. Um, And make sure you do come up with a plan. You have to sometimes take a step back and rethink your client engagement process. Once they come in, How are you following up with them? Um, Is it just they come in, you do the documents, they sign the documents, that's it? Maybe some initial follow-up, maybe you charge for a follow-up letter, maybe you give a free letter after the initial meeting. Uh, But one way or another, you need to come up with, even if the client doesn't have questions, some way to just let them know they're... They're top of mind and you're getting things done for them. And of course, you need to have a way to respond to questions, try to make sure you always get back to clients within certainly 24 hours, whether you have the answer or not, at least acknowledge they got back to you. But it's about finding what works for you and every interaction you have with clients is a chance to build on your relationship with them. So I think that's just key to all of this. What we do, it's a relationship-based business business think about why you got into this field of law and how you can help people and keep that in mind. And as you deepen relationships with clients, you'll find you're able to help them even more and and your business will be better and and you'll have a, a much better client base for it. So relationship, 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 and that also connects back to communicate, communicate, communicate.
0: Right, great. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for all these great tips on keeping our clients happy. For our listeners out there, Mark, how can they get a hold of you if they want to reach out?
1: Yes. Yeah, so our, our law firm's website, we're here in Palo Alto, California, is just gilfix.com, G-I-L-F-I-X, F as in Frank, X as in x-ray.com. You can find me on social media. I created a professional Facebook page. It's just Facebook backslash Mark Gilfix, M-A-R-K-G-I-L-F-I-X. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm occasionally active there, but it's a good way to also to reach out to me at Twitter slash Mark Gilfix or at Mark Gilfix, M-A-R-K-G-I-L-F-I-X.
0: Great. Well, thank you all for listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share it with a friend or a colleague. You can just um, subscribe on iTunes and find all of our past episodes at podcast.elderlawanswers.com. See you next time.